0: Well, hello, City First Church. We are so glad that each and every one of you are with us today. I hope that everybody had a great Thanksgiving, that it was meaningful, spent with people that you love, maybe eating too much good food, and maybe you enjoyed some football, unless you're an Ohio State fan like myself, then you didn't. But today is a two-part, is the second part of a two-part series that we've been calling King of Hearts. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and check it out. Pastor Jeremy shared a message that was extremely helpful and insightful, and I promise you're going to benefit from it if you take the time to go back and watch that. Well, as you know, many of you may know, Adam and I have two boys, or two little boys, Nash and Ryder. And for the past couple of years, these boys have been begging their parents for a puppy. And Adam and I have been married for 10 years. And for 10 years, a decade, we've been like, one day we'll get a puppy, but we're not sure because of the commitment level. We're like, we don't know if we really want to add that in. And so as we've been talking about a puppy a couple weeks ago, Adam was like, Lisa, do you really want to get a puppy? And I was like, well, I feel like we could add in one more member of our family, like a baby or a puppy. I've never seen Adam reach so fast for his wallet. He was like, here is our card. Put the deposit down on the puppy. And so I'd like to introduce you to our third child, our fur baby. This is... Remy, he's a mini golden doodle. Our youngest son is five, and he wanted to name him Snuggly Bear. I was like, maybe that could be his middle name, so that's his middle name. And we love this dog, okay? He's quickly become part of our family. But what we're finding during this season of our lives is when it comes to parenting, we are constantly teaching our kids. We are teaching them how to take care of the puppy We're teaching them responsibility, we're teaching them manners, we're teaching them work ethic, we're teaching them gratitude, and the reason that we're doing this is not primarily for our benefit, but it's for their benefit. We want our kids to learn biblically-based principles and develop character that will help to carry them through this crazy thing called life. And so we are constantly teaching them. Why? So that they can grow strong and they can flourish in who they are. And here at City First Church, we have a mission statement, and it's we exist to introduce everyone to Jesus and teach them to follow him. And see, many of us in the room, maybe you've already been introduced to Jesus, maybe you're brand new to church, and you're just kind of here checking out church, checking out this whole Jesus thing, and if that's you, we're so glad that you're here, you're in the right place. We always say around here at City First that you can belong even before you believe, so we're glad that you're here. Well, maybe you've been coming for a little while, and maybe you've already been introduced to Jesus, and even more than that, you've decided to surrender your life to him. You've made Jesus the savior of your life. You've received the forgiveness that he has for you, and if that's you, that's amazing. But what we have to remember is there's two parts to this mission statement, right? The first part is that we will be introduced to Jesus, so we have heaven forever as our home. But the second part is we also want to be great followers of Jesus while we're on this earth. We want to do both. Otherwise, we can make Jesus our Savior, but not the Lord of our lives. And if that happens, we're missing out on all that God has for us. We can receive His forgiveness but yet not completely follow him and his ways as the leader of our lives. And so today, as one of your pastors, my prayer is that this message would help to teach us how to grow in following Jesus as we continue the conversation around generosity. Now, we know generosity is not just about finances. More than anything, generosity has to do with the state of our hearts. Hey, generous people don't just give up their finances. Generous people give hugs, and they give high fives, and they give compliments, and they give encouragement with their words. They give up their time. They show up early. They stay late. They don't just do the bare minimum. They go above and beyond. And in this mini-series, we have a theme verse. It's Proverbs 4.23, and it says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. What does it mean to guard your heart? Your heart can be your mind, your will, emotions, your thoughts. To guard our heart means that we're guarding what we think about. We don't just let any thought come in and accept it as truth. When we guard our heart we're kind of sifting through what can stay and what should go. So above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. But what I find is oftentimes we guard a lot of things. We guard our time. Well, I don't have time to do that, or I don't want to make time to do that. We guard our reputation. We can guard our social media. I'm going to make sure I post this, but not post that. I'm going to make sure that nobody's saying anything I don't like in my comments, right? We can guard our schedule. We can guard our bank account. But we can forget to guard our hearts. And what happens when we forget to guard our hearts are, is things like selfishness can creep in. When we forget to guard our heart without even meaning to, things like envy can creep in. Things like selfish ambition, comparison start to make their way into our hearts. We can become self-absorbed if we're not mindful to guard our hearts otherwise. And I think that's why the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it's the words of Jesus. It says you should remember, remember the words of Jesus, like we would forget, right? Remember the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So the word blessed here in the original language means happiness. So this verse is saying that you are happiest when you are generous. Okay, And this is more than just Jesus offering good advice. He is describing how life works. It is how God designed us to function. It is how he wired us up. is to be people who are generous. And he knows the more generous we are, the happier we are. Studies even affirm this, but it's the Bible that tells us this is the way that we are to live. So if we are happiest when we are generous... Why do we have such a hard time being generous? It's a question we got to ask ourselves. Why do we have a hard time passing on that word of encouragement? Why do we have a hard time giving that compliment to that person or going out of our way just to encourage somebody? Why do we feel like, as much as I'd like to give this to you, I'd also like to keep it for me, Right? How many of you are Christmas shopping right now and you kind of have the one-to-one present ratio? You're like, one gift for you, one gift for me, right? Like, it just kind of happens. We don't mean for it to. They would like this, but you know what? I would like that too. So I'm going to get that for me and maybe for you, right? Like, it just kind of happens. And there's a reason that God says every single time that you are paid to give back a portion of it, not all of it. But to give a portion of it back to him. Why? Because it keeps our hearts calibrated. It keeps our hearts focused on Jesus. God knew if we follow his principles, it will help us to keep his priorities. So when we follow the principle of generosity, it helps to keep God as a priority in our life. Look, God doesn't need our money, but he does want our hearts. And how many of us know that our hearts and generosity are tied together? What we give towards, we care about. You know what I'm talking about. You purchased that Christmas present, and you are tracking it like nobody's business. Okay, now it's here. It departed from Florida. It's making its way to Illinois. It's out for delivery. Why are you checking on it? Because your heart's in it because you gave your finances to it. So God doesn't care about our, he doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us, and he wants us to give him our hearts. So today, I'd like to share three keys on how to keep our hearts in the right place when it comes to the topic of generosity. So we want to talk about three keys to unlock a heart of generosity, okay? Three keys. Are you guys ready to learn three keys that hopefully unlock something inside of us? Okay, the first key we're going to talk about is to keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. Now, I recently heard a joke about eternity. It is not biblically correct, but I'm going to share it. Pastor Jeremy, I just want you to know, I know it's not biblically sound, but I thought everybody needs to hear a cheesy joke every now and then. So I recently heard this joke that there is a woman who found herself in heaven outside the pearly gates, and there is an angel standing guard. And she got there, and she said, "'I can't believe I made it to heaven.'" And the angel said, well, you haven't made it in yet, before you can pass through the pearly gates into heaven, you have to be able to spell one word correctly. She said, okay, well, what word do I need to spell correctly? He said, any words you want, you pick any word, you spell it correctly, you get to pass through the pearly gates. And so she said, okay, I'll spell love, L-O-V-E. And the angel said, well, congratulations, you've made it into heaven she was so excited, and then the angel said, well, you know, now that you're here, I'm going to take a little break, so I want you to take over my post for the next people who come in. And she said, well, what do I do? And he said, well, just do what I, what I just did. Just say what I just said. Ask someone to spell a word, they spell it correctly. They get to pass through the pearly gates. Says, okay. So she's standing there, and lo and behold, she sees her ex-husband approaching the pearly gates. And she said, well, I can't believe that you made it here. He said, I can't believe either. It happened suddenly, but I can't believe I made it to heaven. She said, well, you didn't make it to heaven yet. You have to be able to spell a word correctly to be able to pass through the pearly gates. And he said, well, what word do I have to spell correctly? Can it be any word? She said, no, it can't be any word. You have to spell Czechoslovakia, and then you can come on in. It's silly, I know, but we got to have a laugh in church. Is it okay if we laugh in church together? (laughs) Cheesy joke, but it's fun. Okay, so when we're talking about eternity, truly, we can get so caught up in the here and the now that we all too often forget about eternity. We can get consumed with the busyness of life, we can get consumed with all the feelings that we feel. We can get consumed with our obsession to constantly be entertained. We can get so consumed and caught up in the comparison trap that we feel the demands of bills, we feel the reality of inflation. Paired with our innate selfishness as human beings, we can completely forget that all of this is just temporary. And can I tell you that the enemy wants us to be consumed with the here and the now. He wants us to be so distracted and weighed down by today that we forget about the promise of eternity. But we have to remember that this life is but a breath. It is but a breath. And when we remember eternity, it reminds us that we are to spend our lives and our resources with eternity in mind. See, money is meant to be used, right? You can't live without it. It would be very difficult, maybe unless you're a child, but you can't live without money. We use money for shelter. We use money for transportation. We use money for food. We use money for necessities. The world a lot of times gets it wrong and will tell us that we should use people and love money. But the Bible says for the love of money is the root of all evil, not not money isn't evil, but the love of it. See, as Christ followers, we are called to love people and use money, not, not vice versa. And it's important that we get that right. And what do we use finances for? We use finances to serve and to love people and introduce more and more people to Jesus. I love what it says about this topic in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, the enemy wants us to feel like every time we give, we're losing. But in God's economy, every time we give, we're gaining. And that's the promise that God gives to us when it comes to trusting him with our finances. But I want you to notice the words of this verse. Two words that I never really had thought much about, but it says, Store up for yourselves. Store up for yourselves. For yourself. Store up for yourselves. Treasure in heaven. So, when you give with eternity in mind and for the cause of Christ, not only are you making a difference in people's lives, but it says that you're storing up treasures for yourself. When you give back to God through City First Church, you're not storing up treasure for City First Church, you're storing up treasure for who? For yourselves. So, then you might be wondering well, what kind of treasure are we talking about, Lisa? Well, let's look what it says in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 9 says, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Kind of a strange verse. Let's read it one more time. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, what this verse is not saying is try to buy yourself some friends, okay? If you feel like you need some friends, join a life group. You're going to find some great friends there. Okay, If you feel like, man, I could use more help with my finances than just these, this two-week mini-series, we have Financial Peace Life Group. So find a life group that you love. It'll be helpful, and you'll find some friends there. So this verse isn't saying try to buy friends on earth. okay? But what it is saying is that when you use your finances that God's giving you with eternity in mind, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a welcoming committee. There's going to be a welcoming party when you get there. And that's what the treasure really is all about. When you give on earth for eternal purposes, it is like you are sending treasure on ahead of you to your welcoming committee in heaven. Imagine getting to heaven and someone that you don't know comes up to you and they're like, Sally, I just want to pause and say thank you so much. And you're like, thank you for what? I'm sorry, I don't even think I've ever met you before. And the individual says, well, you were a part of City First Church, and you prayed, and you served, and you gave, and your church's ministry reached me, and it reached my family. It reached me while I was in prison. It reached me while I was overseas. It reached me while I was in need. It reached me while I was a kid. It changed my life, and it changed my family's life. Wouldn't all of it be worth it? What better treasure is it than helping someone have heaven forever as their home? That's the treasure that we get to look forward to. So we have to expand our perspective from a limited mindset. We get so caught up in what we can see here in the now. We get so caught up in the temporary. And what about this? And what about that? And what about this person thinks? And how does this look compared to how that looks? But God wants us to expand our perspective from a limited perspective to a legacy perspective. And we do that when we keep an eternal perspective. The second key to living a generous life is to remember it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. See, my parents are first-generation Christians. So when they were about 30 years old, they found Jesus for the first time. That means they had never been to church in their lives before they were around 30 and they found Christ. So they had me, my two sisters, and they were raising the three of us, not passing down the faith of their fathers and their father fathers. They were figuring it out as they were going and we were all along for the ride. So they had us in church, which I'm so grateful for. One of the best gifts that we can give our kids as parents is to consistently have them in church. And my mama had us in church all the time. And I remember when I was about seven or eight years old, I was in kids church and they gave everybody a little container. And they said, I want you to take this home and throughout the week, put change in it and then bring it back every Sunday. Now, I'm sure there was like a great mission behind it. They're teaching kids about generosity. The change is going to make a difference. But when I was like seven or eight years old, I was like, I'm not giving this change away. I'm keeping this change. You know, I got to save it to buy important things like candy and toys. And so my mom is like, you don't mess around. Like she was like, well, what are you supposed to do with that change? I was like, well, I want to keep it. She said, well, what did your pastor say to do with it? I said, well, they said to bring it back on Sunday. She said, well, then you're bringing it back on Sunday. So I brought it back, but I don't want to bring it back. And can I tell you, there was not joy in my giving. Second Corinthians 9-7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I didn't give what I decided to give. I gave what my mama decided that I should give. And so I did give with reluctancy, and I did give under compulsion, and I was not a cheerful giver. And that's why at City First, we hope that you never, ever feel pressured to give. Rather, we always simply say, Ask God what he wants you to give. And then do what he asks you to do. I would also add to that, if you're a married couple in the place, don't just ask God, but talk to each other about it. What's our plan for generosity? What do you feel like God's saying to you? This is what I feel like God's saying to me. Just make it normal to talk about generosity and finances in your family and also in your prayer life. And so what happened when I was little and I wasn't understanding the purpose behind generosity is it felt very transactional to me. This is what I'm supposed to do, so I will do it. But what I've learned as I've grown in my faith is that giving should be relational, not transactional. Okay. As I matured in my faith, I began to understand and come to know Jesus in the context of relationship. And it shifted my entire perspective on generosity. See, giving is what God is all about. It's who he is and he leads the way in it. The famous verse, John three sixteen. Pastor Jeremy mentioned it last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It doesn't say God felt bad for the world, so he gave. It doesn't say, well, God was under compulsion, so he gave. Or God felt pressured, so he gave. It says, no, he loved and so he gave. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. It's an overflow. A friend of mine said, love is actually spelled G-I-V-E. It is an overflow. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. There's an individual who is approaching Jesus, and he says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The first and the greatest commandment is don't sin. The first and the greatest commandment is not, don't ever screw up. The first and the greatest commandment is, make sure you're generous. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say the first and the greatest commandment is you have to do a million acts of good deeds every year. It says the first and the greatest commandment is that we would love God with everything that we've got because if we love God, a byproduct will be generosity. The byproduct will be generosity, How amazing is that? That's what we see from how God is to us, and that's how we want to reflect his generosity back to him. So the third key to living a life of generosity is it will require trust. It's going to require trust. And we know that trust is essential in any relationship. If you're trying to have a healthy dating relationship, but you can't trust the person that you're dating – You might not want to date them, right? The parents are like, yes, that's true. Tell my kids. okay." But if you're going to have a healthy marriage relationship, it's going to require that you trust your spouse and that you also are trustworthy. If you're going to have a healthy relationship with your roommates or your coworkers, trust has to be a foundational element of that relationship. You know what I'm talking about. And it's the same with our relationship with God. And here's what we have to be careful of. Just because you love God, just because you believe in God, does not automatically mean that you trust him. It's a journey that we have to go on. And there's a difference between believing and trusting. They're not one and the same. And there's a famous person from the 19th century who was the greatest tightrope walker in the world. His name was Charles Blondin. And on June 30th, 1859, he became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. How crazy is it? Tiny tightrope across Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk 1,100 feet suspended on a tiny rope 160 feet above the raging waters. Now, back then, he worked without a net or a safety harness of any kind. They didn't have all the rules and regulations that we had today. But what that meant is if he fell, it would be fatal. So when he successfully and safely walked across and reached the Canadian side, the crowd went wild at what he had just accomplished and in the days that followed he would walk across the falls many times he walked across on stilts another time he took a chair and a stove and midway through sat down cooked an omelet and ate it on the tightrope once he carried his manager on his back across the tightrope once he pushed a wheelbarrow across loaded with 350 pounds of cement he rightfully earned the nickname the Daredevil of Niagara Falls. On another occasion, he asked the cheering crowd if they thought he could push a man across the tightrope in a wheelbarrow. And everybody was cheering, and they had all of his approval. Yes, we think you can do it. So the great blondin spotted somebody that was going, yes, I think you can do it. And he said, sir, do you think that I could carry you in a wheelbarrow across the tightrope over the Niagara Falls. And the man replied, yes, of course, I believe that you are the great blondin. And so he said, well, sir, get in, let's go. And the man said, absolutely not. I will not get in the wheelbarrow. And the story is so funny because it shows us the difference between believing and trusting. He said, I believe that you can, but I don't trust you to place myself in your control that you'll get me across. And so many times, I think that's how we feel when it comes to our relationship with God. God, I believe that you can provide. I believe that you can make a way but I don't trust you enough to fully place myself in your care. Belief is a great perspective, but trust requires action. Trust requires action. Some of you are like, maybe I'll clap. I don't want to get in the wheelbarrow either. You know, whether we want to quantify it like this or not, we actually put our trust in a lot of things. We trust that Netflix will keep us entertained so we put our money towards it. There's action to support our belief. This will entertain me. It's got some good holiday movies on it. I'm gonna put my money towards it. Okay, we trust that a certain brand of clothes or shoes or whatever will make us feel or look a certain way, and so we put our money towards it, and we purchase those things. Trust is accompanied by action, and it's not bad to have nice things, but where we get into trouble is when things have you instead of you having things. And when we misplace our trust, that's what we fall prey to. We want to place our trust in God and not misplace it in other things or in other people. So the goal, church, is to move from just believing in God to really trusting in God. And trust is hard because you can't always understand on this side of eternity what God is asking you to do. He might be asking you to forgive When it doesn't even make sense. He might be asking you to apologize first, even though they were wrong too. He might be asking you to give him thanks in advance for the miracle that you haven't even seen yet. He might be asking you to invite that person to church, even though it's intimidating. He might be asking you to make him a priority in your finances, even though that feels uncomfortable. But what I love in Proverbs chapter 3, it says this, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And this is where we get tripped up because we want to understand everything that God is asking us to do. But if you ask me to do this, how is this going to work out? And if you ask me to give that, what about this? And even though we think we want to understand, I believe that we want to serve a God that is so great, he's beyond our understanding. That we serve a God that's so powerful, it's beyond our comprehension. That we serve a God who does miracles that we can't even begin to understand on this side of eternity. So it says that we should seek God in all that we do and when we do that he's going to show us the right path to take when we trust him beyond our understanding we seek him he's going to lead us and he's going to guide us and he's going to direct us see there's a gap between believing and trusting and we have to determine what we will fill that gap with if we fill the gap with fear God's asking me but I'm scared If we fill the gap with doubt, well, I don't know if you really can come through. If we fill the gap with control, but I've worked for this and I've earned this. If we fill the gap with cynicism, but if I do that, well, I'm not sure. Then we're never going to get to the place of truly trusting God. We'll just stay stuck at the place of believing. But if we fill that gap between believing and trusting with faith and with obedience we will move to the place of truly trusting God. And here's the amazing thing. When we trust God, not ourselves, when we trust God more than people, when we trust God more than material things of this world, there's a promise that he has for us. In Romans chapter 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace. We all want that. We want the hope. We want the joy. We want the peace. And God will be faithful to give it to us, but we have a part to play in this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. The byproduct of trusting God is joy and its peace. And that applies to every area of our life. Is there joy and peace in your marriage? Is there joy and is there peace in your career path? Is there joy and peace with your family? But since we're on the topic of generosity, let me ask you this question. Are you experiencing joy and peace in your finances? If there's not peace, you may have the opportunity to begin trusting God in that area. And you don't have to have it all figured out at once to say, God, where do I start? And then do what he asks you to do. That's faith. That's obedience. If there's no joy, then you may have a great opportunity to trust God in that area and start giving with mission and legacy and eternity in mind and experience the joy that God designed for you to have as you're generous. See, believing is the start, but trusting is getting in the wheelbarrow. And so many times... We're one foot in and we're one foot out. God, I trust you as long as I understand you. God, I trust you as long as it can make sense. God, I trust you, but I also want to have my way too. God, I trust you, but I don't want to sacrifice for you. And God is saying, church, it's time to not just be one foot in and one foot out, but to get all the way in the wheelbarrow and say, I'm all in. I trust you completely. And here's the amazing thing is that when we put ourselves in a place of trusting God, we get to sit in and experience his joy and his peace and his hope and his purpose and his mission. But it doesn't work if we're one foot in and one foot out. Where is God asking you to trust him in? Because once you're in the wheelbarrow, you don't want to get out. Like, literally, it's hard to get out. But, but once you're in the trust and you're going to trust you, God wants you to experience his joy and his peace. There's blessing and there's purpose there. You know, next two weeks, we have the legacy offering coming up, and I know we've talked a lot about it. And as your pastors, this isn't just something that we ask you to do. It's something that we all participate in and prayerfully lead the way in. And every year as people, the legacy offering always stretches Adam and I. We always say, okay, God, what do you want us to give? How can we be faithful to what you want to do? And normally it kind of works like I'm the one that's like, okay, this is a good number and it makes sense, but also like I can understand it. And then Adam comes in and like throws my other leg in the wheelbarrow. He's like, come on, let's be irrationally generous, Lisa. I'm like, okay, you're so much more spiritual than I am, full of faith. But I remember many years ago, it was one of the year-end legacy offerings, and Adam and I felt prompted to give more than we had ever given before in an offering. And we're like, how does this make sense? We got little kids, all of the things. And we had a number that we felt like God asked us to give, and it would be sacrificial, and it would be obedient. And I remember thinking, if I don't give this, I'm not going to have that peace that passes understanding because I'm not going to be living in the obedience that God's asking us to. And so we gave out of a place of trust, and we experienced that God cared for us. And when we sang earlier, you're never going to let us down. Do you know what? He's never let us down, not once. He is good. He is faithful. He cares about us. He cares about what we care about. And so, church, my prayer today is that you would begin to move in faith and obedience and place your trust in God in the areas of finances, but in all areas of our lives, because he has so much for you on the other side of faith and the other side of our obedience. Let me go ahead and pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you are never gonna let us down. And God, I pray over each and every one of my friends who's joining us in person or online, God, if you are nudging them, asking them to trust you, God, I pray that they would be full of faith and obedience and move from just believing to a place of trusting. God, we thank you that we can take you at your word. And as we trust in you, we will experience your joy and your hope and your peace. And I pray that for each and every one of my friends. Thank you, God, that we can go all in with you because you did that for us. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, If you're with us today and you've never made Jesus a leader and forgiver of your life, you've heard about God and his generosity today for God so loved that he gave his only son, he did that for you. That you could have a fresh start sins forgiven and a relationship with him. And if today you're saying, I'd like to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of my life with no one else looking around except for me, would you go ahead and slip up a hand? Say, yes, today I want to choose to receive God's love and forgiveness, and I want to choose to follow him. I see your hand. Is there anyone else who just want to give a moment, another hand? Absolutely amazing. Go ahead and slip your hand down, and if everyone will repeat this prayer after me so that no one feels like they're saying it alone. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Jesus, that He died for me, forgives my sins, and gives me a fresh start. And in Your name we pray. Amen. Church, can we give everybody who prayed that prayer a huge round of applause.